is it but you kind of sealed your own fate? It's green. Are we good? Okay. You can tell a church's growth not by just numbers, but when they do things biblically and do it decently and in order. I didn't know anything about what you were going to do. I didn't know it was Pastor's Appreciation Month. I didn't know that. It was a good catch on somebody's part. But then for you to publicly say that we're going to, in spite of the fact that you've heard all the run-up to needing another space, and you do, and all that goes with that, oftentimes, and Brother Napier would probably support this, I'm going to put him in the mix anyway, the first thing that goes when the church grows is the pastor. And they forget about him and his needs and the necessities and those things. And in God's eyes, that preaching of the Word of God is the most important thing. And so a test comes on a church when there's an opportunity, sometimes to build, sometimes to move, sometimes to add something of great significance. The test comes in is do we get it out of priority? And do we take care of what we're supposed to take care of? Our Bible-believing pastors have that pioneering spirit, and generally speaking, they have facilitated uh, a very bad thing because other people have misused it. They have facilitated the I'll be last in the bunch group, and then as a result, there are many of them that are out of the ministry or they're divorced or their families are bitter toward other people. So you kind of did something tonight that I believe got God's attention, and that is, is in spite of the fact that we need more space, we need to make sure that we take care of God who's taking care of us and God's feeding us, so we're going to show God we care about that. That's Galatians 6, by the way, but I'm not preaching on that tonight. But it's an amazing thing to be a part of a church that I've had the privilege of watch grow, but to see what I saw tonight demonstrated by what they did in spite of just getting up and have a meeting and let's get this done later and after Brother Peacock goes or whatever, then we'll have the day for you. So... Uh, church, you, you are to be commended. You have things in the right order. And as long as you put the Lord first and take care of Him and His Word, I can assure you that you will grow in leaps and bounds. It may not always be in numbers, but it will definitely be in fellowship with the Lord. Yeah. I want to give you something tonight, and hopefully it will sort of go along with where we've been before. Can you turn to Jeremiah 38? I'll let you stand and stretch and be seated for just a little while. Now, I did go by and look at all the desserts, which means I have now had all that I can have. Because when you get my age, if you look at them, you gain a pound. If you eat them, you gain five. So I got to look at them and I got to smell them. And then I won't say who, but somebody brought down maple bacon cookies and then said, but you can't have these because they're not, you know, because your wife said you're fat, you know, so I was like, <laughs> my wife never said I was fat, but, but if, if you'll give me a couple of minutes, if you would, if you wouldn't mind to maybe tell you a little bit of a story, maybe show you a little something I'm sure that you've all seen before to get the personal benefit from it, and then to also be able to understand that there's something bigger in the story than you may not have seen before. So if you'll just bear with me for just a few minutes tonight, it'll be the last night. You'll have me out of here uh, tomorrow morning and I'll be gone and then you can get back to the real preacher and you'll be in good shape after that. This is the story where Jeremiah winds up in prison and then he winds up 
down in the pit. Everybody knows that story, sinking in the mire, and he winds up getting stuck. I want to point this out to you before I read the passage, that Jeremiah didn't do anything wrong. Once again, we find God's servant doing what he is supposed to do, but he doesn't get what you would expect for him to get. There was no appreciation for him telling the truth. As a matter of fact, he got slandered, lied about, imprisoned, and then some of the people so uh, destitute in their mindset, they wanted him put in a place worse than prison, so they put him down in a pit. That's where we're going to pick up the story. So the Bible says this, the verse number 5, Zedekiah the king said, Behold, he is at your hand, for the king is not he that can do anything against you. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Machaliah, and the son of Hamelech, what names, man. <laughs> that was in the court of the prison, and they let down Jeremiah with cords, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire. Now, you're smart enough to know you don't have mire or mud without moisture, but the Bible said there's no water. Where's the moisture coming from? He's in the sewer. Oh, yes. He is in the drain pipe where all of the stuff from the dungeon and all the stuff from everywhere else, he is down literally in the drain field or in the septic tank. And Jeremiah sunk in the mire. And when Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, and one of the eunuchs, which was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon, and the king sitting in the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went forth out of the king's house, and he spake unto the king. We're going to stop there. Um, uh, preacher, how about if you pray? Would you please and ask the Lord to help us out? Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Can I say this to you? Expectations almost always lead to disappointments. You have to manage your expectations because oftentimes people, believe it or not, will let you down. I like the story of Elijah. You remember the story of Elijah, the great old preacher in the Old Testament, and he's the one that went out and had to go hide by the brook Cherith. 
Do you remember that story? And the Lord provided for him a babbling brook and then he had ravens bring food to him on a regular basis. And then after three and a half years, he said that the brook dried up and he told him, so he went over there and he found the woman of Zarephath and he ate her last biscuit. And, you know, that's kind of a Baptist preacher thing, I guess. But at any rate, he ate her last biscuit and, and then her son dies and he resurrects the son. And then the Lord says, now go talk to the king. So he goes and confronts the king and then they have the big showdown at the OK Corral up on Mount Carmel. You remember the story. And the Baalites get up there and they do all of their stuff and they don't wind up bringing down the fire and they don't wind up having a big huge rainstorm or anything. And so now it's the preacher's opportunity. And if you remember the story, he gets up there and he gets ready to make a sacrifice and lay everything down. Now here's what's on the table. The bet was this. If whichever God wins will be the God of the nation of Israel. If Baal wins, we'll all worship Baal. And if God wins, we'll all worship God. And everybody said, amen, that works for us. Why? Because Baal would have been that God that would have been in his wheelhouse. He was supposed to be the God of fertility. He was with Ashtoreth, who was supposed to be the goddess of fertility. And they're supposed to provide the rain, and they're supposed to provide for the crops and for the animals to birth and so on and so forth. So they thought, hey, this is a fixed deal. I mean, like, we got the inside track. We know what the numbers are, and so we're, it's a safe bet. So they get up there, and guess what? nothing happens. Comes 12 o'clock, they break off their worship service and leave at 12 o'clock even if the preacher is long-winded and so they get ready to go out and Elijah gets ready to preach and he notices first of all that the altar needs repair. We've talked about that before a long time ago and oftentimes you need to recognize their altar is in need of repair and that's the reason their nation is in the shape it's in. Can I say this to you personally for just a moment, not getting on to you, but oftentimes you'll find your life both a physical and a spiritual, emotional wreck because it's been a while since you've been to the altar and said, hey, Lord, you know what? I just need to talk to you. All altars are not because you have to confess sin. Some altars are a place where you just meet with God. Some altars are a place where you have the opportunity to make commitments to God. That's true. Sometimes it's just a place of restoration. It's just an opportunity to get back in the mindset of, hey, you know what? And listen, all altars are not in the front of the church. Many times in some of the smaller churches that I'm in, very much like this, you're packed in like sardines, they make an altar out of the chair that they've been sitting in. There's, there's, they can't get to the altar. There's no room. Oftentimes an altar becomes a dash in your car or underneath your desk or beside your bed as you heard the preacher singing the song. So don't get the concept that it's this sort of a Catholic thing. The only altar exists in a church. It exists in your heart. Right. And until that was that period of recognizing that maybe, just possibly, if Israel had paused and said, you know what, maybe the reason there's a famine in the land and there's a drought going on is because, you know what, it's been a while since we had fellowship with the Lord. I'm just suggesting to you, that's a sidebar, that you consider sometimes trouble in your life comes because you've unhitched the wagon. You're not lost. You're still just as saved as you were the day you got saved, but you're out of fellowship. You're sleeping on the couch in the sense of being married. You're, you're not where you should be because things haven't been going well. You're not divorced yet, but you're quickly moving in that direction unless we go have some dinner and sit down and have some conversation. Sometimes an altar is just a place of a conversation. And so he gathers up and he gets him. He says, come here unto me. And they all come together and he lays all the stuff out there. You remember what happens? And 
they have the, the, uh, the altar that's laid out there. They put the animal on the altar. The water gets poured on the altar, which is the most precious thing that was around at the time. And so they pour that onto the altar. The Lord hits that thing, and he thinks, man, good night. This is a blessing. So he goes up in the mountain and prays. Remember the story? Sees a cloud about the size of a man's hand. He says to his servant, he said, hey, go tell the king and Jehu they better hightail it back to the city because they're fixing to come a frog strangler. That means a heavy thunderstorm. <laughs> wow, a silence fell across the ground. Like, yeah, is that one of them southern things? Yeah, if a frog is drowning, that's a pretty heavy duty rain. So sorry about that for God. I'm in the Midwest. I, you know, the pageants got it though. They were like, oh yeah, we're we're good. Bro, yeah. They're like throwing the anyway. So, so then here's what happens. Elijah comes down and the people are hightailing it to the city. It's been a real revival, right? Should be. I mean, God won the battle. Do you know he gets back to town, nobody even asks him to come in for a biscuit? Nobody says, hey, preacher, that was a great message, man. You really brought the fire down. <laughs> Boy, preacher, we sure do appreciate you getting in touch with God and bringing the rain. Preacher, thanks for calling our sin to our attention. We realize we were the problem. Boy, we sure do appreciate You realize not a single person said even thank you to him? I'm not playing the crowd to say, tell me thank you. I'm simply saying his expectation, I'll show you in just a minute, was the people should be rejoicing. They should be worshiping the Lord. God answered their prayer. Hey, the famine is over. The drought is over. Everything's going to get going good now. We should be rejoicing. Oh, there's a preacher. Oh, man, shut the door, man. We don't want him coming in here. And guess what? Everything resets to what it was before the rain fell. And he's sitting there, and guess what happened? He gets a scroll. And the scroll, he's thinking, oh, about time they're going to have a banquet and he's going to write an edict and here's going to be, they want me to proofread it. They're going to send this out to the nation of Israel. We're all going to worship God now. Signed, Ahab the king. Instead, he gets a thing that says, if you ain't like what you did to my prophets by the time this day is over with, my name ain't Jezebel. You might have met her before. (laughs) And so what does he do? He packs up and leaves and he hightails it for the desert. You say, why? Well, I know what most people say, and I actually read some of the outlines that get turned in at school, and most everybody said, oh, well, he's running from a woman and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's kind of a little bit of a cheap shot. I mean, he went in there, he kept his end of the bargain, God kept his end of the bargain, and the people didn't. What makes you think that maybe he wasn't just discouraged and disappointed at the the response of the people? He expected something different than what happened. You understand Jonah had the same problem when he went into Nineveh. He cried out against Nineveh, but you know what he expected? He expected God to nuke him. And when God said he wasn't, Jonah got mad because he's like, hey, I said you were going to nuke him. And the Lord said, you did, and they believed you. You had a great revival. One of the greatest revival, if not the greatest revival in the entire Bible, is written by a guy that didn't want him to have a revival. He is mad. You should have nuked him. The Lord's like, they're stupid. They can't help them. I don't care. Look at me and my reputation. You just made me the liar. He's like, no, you preached a great revival. No, you made me a liar. Wow, Jonah, you should be good, you know. And the Lord says to him, that passage ends, you know what it ends with? It ends with a question mark. Should I have done that to him, Jonah? Question mark. The Lord leaves that there because what would you do? Would you expect him to do that even if God got glory out of it? Well, real quickly, you know what happens. He goes over there to the edge of the desert and he winds up leaving the desert and he sits down under a juniper tree. 
Can you see him there? He comes down in the afternoon time there. The sun's beginning to boil and beginning to set over there and the sky's now gone from yellow and bright blue down to the sort of a, a, a reddish orange color as it dips down over the horizon. And he's beginning to water. He's dehydrated and he's burned up and he's got sunburn on that bald head of his. And he's stepping out there and the tops of his feet are burned for the sandals wouldn't cover it. And he sees a juniper tree off there in the distance. And you know what he does? He says, well, that'd be a good place as any. And he goes over there and he lays down just like the day he was born and curls up in the fetal position and he begins to weep and cry. And you know what his prayer is? It is enough, Lord, let me die. If not the greatest preacher in the Old Testament, one of the greatest preachers. So great was Elijah, the Lord sent his own personal chariot for him to pick him up so he can preach in the tribulation. Yes. That's, that's how great a preacher he was. Where's he at? Crying like a little girl underneath the juniper tree saying, Lord, I'm ready to die. Can I, can I touch this for just a second? It's a tender subject. And I've been preaching during this year and after this whole mess with the, the virus and all the other kind of stuff and I honest to the Lord that made me, I don't care what side of the deal you're on, mask, don't mask, vax, don't vax. It was real, it wasn't real, it's fake, it's a hoax, it's a governmental conspiracy. I really could care less where you're at it's in the past, it's in the history books and we got to move from that. But you know what happened is, is people got to the point where they stayed so cooped up for so long and they got so over distraught and consumed with themselves. Even independent, fundamental, King James only Bible believers have contemplated killing themselves. Probably not a great way to end a meeting, but I need for you to listen to me for just a second. Just because you're a great preacher and have preached to an entire nation and seeing God's mighty hand take care of you for three and a half years by feeding you, resurrect the boy from the dead, and then take you out there and in front of everybody demonstrate his power within a matter of days, that boy is in the depths of despair and he is ready to die because of depression. By the time I got out in January of this year, I'm up in an area around Cleveland and I'm up there preaching. The Lord kind of redirected things and I sort of just put it into a message I was preaching. I didn't even know why. And there was a guy sitting way over here on the side there. He came up after the thing was over with and he said, uh, hey, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah, he looked a little bit rough. He'd been around. I could tell. I know what it is, what it looks like. And he said, yeah. And I, I said, yeah. He said, uh, uh, I know why you preached that tonight. I said, why is that? He said, a few days ago, I tried to hang myself. And I kind of looked at him kind of funny, and he said, I know what you're thinking. And I said, what am I thinking? He said, you're thinking what the doctors are thinking. If I hung as long as they say I hung, how come it didn't mess up my brain? And he said, I know why it didn't mess up my brain. And I said, well, usually it does create quite a bit of brain damage. He said, they can't figure out why only one part of my brain got, didn't get messed up. They hadn't figured it out yet. He said, but I know why. I said, okay, why? He said, because I got saved tonight. But he said, I understand what you're saying. He said, just a few days ago, if I'd have been successful at doing that, he said, I'd have been in hell. I said, why are you trying to kill yourself? I'm being straight with him. He's a kid. He's a young man. He, he could take it straight. He wasn't like typical people that are so scared you got to dance around the issue. I said, man, you're going to have a burn on your neck for the rest of your life. You'll remember that. He said, yeah, I'll remember that. Remind, remind me the Lord saved me from hell every time I look at it. Ain't that a blessing? He said. I said, yeah, it's a blessing. I'll meet you at the altar, you know. <laughs> I said, what are you so distraught about? He said, well, I've done some pretty bad things. And I said, okay, well, I don't need to know no more about that. And he said, well, I'm fixing, I'm facing some pretty serious prison time. I said, okay. He said, I figured there would have been an escape. 
I said, okay. I said, well, how are you doing now? He said, well, from what I learned tonight, he said, I'm going to still go to prison. But he said, I found out somebody's going to go with me. <laughs> I'm down in South Florida and I'm preaching in February. I'm only gone two months into the month of 2022, into the year 2022. And I preach and I do just what I'm doing now. I told a little quick story about a couple of things, about a kid hanging 10 years of age, hanging up in an oak tree, uh, down there dangling from a, a clothesline cord, swinging there in that Spanish moss on a hot August afternoon. A little 10-year-old boy up there who got jilted by his girlfriend and he's hanging up there and the mama comes out and finds him swinging in the tree. And I told that story and I told a story about a little girl who put a shotgun in the middle of her chest and, and blew her heart out her back and stuff and the foyer there that big old beautiful house there and mom and dad and her brother came home and found her in the middle and I told another one I, I told several of those kind of things like that and it got done and the preacher said could I talk to you for a minute and I thought okay I guess maybe I messed up you know and he said I got an elderly lady here to like to talk with you if you don't mind I said okay well it's okay with you and he said sure she comes up she says preacher she's old white headed cotton top you know she comes up, she's real feeble, arthritic hands, and she's rubbing her hands. She's just nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. She just, she's just, she's, she's so, and she's so like, she's like, you know, all like humbled over and all. Can, can I talk to you for a minute? And I said, well, yes, ma'am, let's sit down, you know, and so I, before you fall down. And so she, you know, she sits down and she says, uh, my 12-year-old, uh, uh, just a couple days ago, she, 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 she cut herself down there. And, and she said, uh, I found out that, that she was trying to kill herself. I said, she's 12 years old? She said, yes, sir. She said, they stitched her. Let me tell you this, when they do it this way, they ain't playing. I don't give you all the experience why and all that other kind of stuff, but just trust me when I tell you, that ain't no joke. And if you don't get on that one and you don't get on it really quick, there ain't no, you can't get it quick enough to get it stopped before it's done. Twelve years of age. You say, why? A boy on, what's the, uh, the TikTok thing. And then she got to talking to him on Facebook. And then the next thing you know, they're carrying on this deal and pictures. And, and then he, with somebody else, and 12 years old. I went down that line like that and I told a bunch of stuff and then she comes up there and by the time I'm done, there's another girl standing over in the corner, dark-headed girl. She's 19 years of age. Can I talk to you, preacher? I said, sure. I looked at the pastor and he goes, I thought, okay. So we go back to the pastor's office, leave the door open so there's no question about things and sit down and I said, what can I do for you, sister? And, and she says, uh, preacher, she said, I, I took several handfuls of pills last week and I tried to kill myself and I don't know why you preached on that tonight, but she said, I'm, and down she goes. You know what I realized? I realized you can be in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, saved individual in a church, and people are still getting down and depressed. And I look at that Bible, and I see that old man right there who's discouraged and depressed because he expected people to be different than they actually were. And you know what he said? It wasn't just I quit. He said, I'm done. Take my life. He wasn't afraid of Jezebel killing him. He just didn't want her to have the privilege of killing him. Now, if what I know is right, then I know this. I know somebody in a congregation the size of this, as many of you folks that are here, you've either contemplated it or you've come back from it. And the reason is, is because you get your eyes in the wrong place. And I'm not like a lot of people who say, that's the most selfish thing you can do. That won't keep you from doing it. 
It's whatever it was that pushed you over the brink and sometimes it's because you expect people to be different than they are because you're a Christian or because you're saved or because you walk in the doors of a church. I don't care if it's on the side of a hill or the side of a bank. And you walk in there and you think immediately you're dealing with people that are saved and they shouldn't be people. Can I say this to you tonight? I hate to tell you this, but people are going to let you down. And I'm not trying to be a downer. I'm telling you the best people I've ever met in my entire life are Christian people. You say, well, don't you get hurt by Christians? Yeah, but I hang out with them more than anybody else. Let's just be fair. Well, if Christians done you wrong, yes, I've had Christians do me wrong. But don't forget, that's who I hang out with most of the time. Have Christians done you right? More Christians have done me right than have done me wrong. By far, by long stretch. What I'm trying to prepare you for is is that just because you're saved doesn't mean you won't fight with depression and fear and anxiety. And if you're taking medicine and under a doctor's care, I'm not making light. I'm not one of these fools that get up and try to play like they're a doctor and tell you, just trust Jesus, your problems are over. No, sometimes you need some chemicals to help you, especially if you're going through menopause. You say, no, it's menopause. There ain't nothing little about menopause. I'm, I'm telling you, some of you guys, you're laughing, but you're kind of like, huh, yeah, that's, uh, that's an off-the-subject thing. We can't be going there, yeah. I mean, one minute you can hang meat in the house, and the next minute it's like, hey, I feel like I'm at the beach or something, man. I mean, it's roasting in here, right? And, and in my church, you can tell because the ladies, one minute they got a blanket, and they're singing Frosty the Snow Minute, uh, man, and then the next minute they're like, get thee behind me, Satan, and the blanket goes flying, you know. And it's like their thermostats messed up. Their tri-warmers are not where they're supposed to be. And it's not firing right. And then my poor wife, it was so pitiful. She's sitting in the chair one day and she's kind of out a little bit. And I said, babe, are you okay? And she goes, I kind of feel like I'm like disconnected, like I'm out. You you know, do you know how that is? I said, could you just let me know when you get back? (laughs) I don't know what that is. It's just pitiful she would tune up and cry I'm like babe what did I do now nothing nothing. you didn't do anything I said okay what didn't I do I should have done you know and and that kind of a thing and and then the next minute she's laughing and it's like okay she's bipolar manic depressive at least schizophrenic paranoid whacked out I don't know the doctor said nah it's just menopause I'm like "Uh uh-uh minnow is like this This is manopause. And so I I get to looking at that and guess what? I realize that even Christian people are subject to those kinds of things. And I also realize that sometimes we don't know what's in somebody else's backpack. Sometimes you're sitting and talking to somebody and they're looking at you thinking, when I leave here tonight, I'm getting drunk and I'm going to off myself. See you later. Nice knowing you. You say, not in church. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. When I get out of here tonight, I'm taking the kids and I'm packing up and I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. You don't know what you're dealing with when you're coming in here. Sometimes people are emotionally unstable and it's not just because they've been hitting the gummy bears. I am in the Midwest, so I know I know exactly what it is, right? It's not that. It's because there's pressure that's on them. You know what happened to Elijah? Let me just give you this. I'm coming back to Jeremiah. I, I'll do my best not to be too long. I, y'all keep longingly look. Either you're looking at the door for the bathroom or the dessert. <laughs> but let me just say this. Elijah got to the end of his rope, and the amazing thing is, as you see in that particular passage, you see that when nobody else wanted to help him, God stepped in to help him. And he doesn't come down there and he doesn't kick him. This is so important. 
Because, listen, you don't have to understand why somebody's under the juniper tree. It's not the time to pull out your diagnostics and trying to figure it out. You know what they just need? They just need a little help. The Lord comes by there and he's laying there whimpering and crying and you can see where those old salt trails have dried on those old cheeks and stuff and he probably blows that old white wiry hair back out of his face, maybe takes his coat off and, and puts it on that old man and, and he lays him right there and goes over and starts a fire and he makes him up a biscuit there and, and some water and those kind of things and when he wakes up, you know what he says? You hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you cold? Here's the fire. Have you kind of lost direction? Here's some light. Do you need some fellowship? Everybody else has deserted you. I haven't. Can I just say this to you? This is really important. You find this over in the book of Acts when Paul is over there. Remember he's on the ship and they release, release and they're not supposed to. And, and then he kind of gets on to him and says you shouldn't have released from Crete. And so Remember that story? It's in the book of Acts. At least one of you has read that. That's a good thing. <laughs> Usually if I preach out of Genesis, I'm safe because at the beginning of every year, everybody makes that promise they're going to read their Bible through, right? And they at least make it through Genesis. But then if you like get an ax, it's like, eh, not so much. So anyway, Paul's on the, he's ready to go, right? And so they're in a really bad storm. You know the interesting thing that you find in there that Paul says before they wind up going to the beach? You know what he says? Uh, let's eat. You'd be surprised, ladies and gentlemen, when somebody's under the juniper tree, what? A biscuit and some water would do. What, just some fellowship, just to sit down and talk? I, I, I wouldn't write a book, but I could write a book of stupid things people say at hospitals and funerals. You ever been in one of those? In the South, they're bad about it. Here's a guy laying there in the hospital, and he's in pretty bad shape, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And here's, you know, here comes Bubba, and, you know, I'm from the South, so it's always Bubba. He's got on his wife beater, you know, and things like that, and he comes walking in. Hey, thought I'd come by and visit you in the hospital. And he said, well, thank you, man. I sure appreciate it. You know, well, what's got you so jacked up? You know, well, uh, you know, I just, I've had some kidney stones. and things. You know, Uncle Bobby, he had them things one time, man. You know, you wouldn't have believed that. You never heard him holler so loud in all your life, man. I mean, we thought he is a dying, man. You know what they wound up doing? They took that kidney right out of his back. You should have. It was horrible. I mean, I'm sure they ain't going to do that to you or nothing like that. But uh, he wound up addicted to painkillers, and he is in drug rehab right now. God bless you. Can you want me to pray with you before we leave? <laughs> hey, Bubba, could you just shut up? Bring him a Starbucks and leave. Sometimes you just don't have to always have a one-up story. You're at the funeral. You're standing there walking by. the And here's people, they come by. The families, we have them laying out in the south. I don't know what you call them here, viewings or whatever. Do you all have open casket, I guess, here? And so they open up the casket and people come by and they look at them. And every time some idiot is going to go, don't he look natural? <laughs> it's like if he looked like that when he was alive, he must have been a zombie. He, don't, he didn't look like that. Nobody walks around with that pasty white looking... It's like, did he just let go of gas or what? What's... Do you know what I'm talking about? Don't act like that. Y'all are like, oh, no, that, I'm, I'm in church. I'm not going to laugh. Okay, whatever. Take some spiritual x lax You'll be okay. But listen, but, but listen to me. It's okay to have a good time in church. Have you ever noticed that? That sometimes at a time when people have a need, we have to kind of insert ourselves. Hey, you know what? Even a fool's considered wise when he keeps his mouth shut. You walk by and look and say, hey, I'm just... Won't you know I'm here? I'll be over here in the corner if you need me. What are you going to do? I'm just be right here if you need anything. 
Need some Kleenex? Need me to get you a donut or something? I, I'll get it for you. Whatever you need. I'm right here. What do you have to say about it? I, don't, I can't even imagine. But here's what usually happens. You know, I know when I lost Uncle Bobby. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> My husband just died, and you got to tell me about when you lost your husband. Oh, I hit that one. That was good. I was like, y'all right. Oh, well, you mean there's something wrong with that? Timing is everything. <laughs> Maybe later. Not while he's in the box. Well, you know what happens with him? The Lord comes along there. You know what the Lord does? And you need to get this. Kids, this is going to be important for you. Because statistically, you are way up there close to 70% more likely to try to commit suicide than the adults because of the pressure that you're under. Just telling you, that's a fact. I've seen more kids do that than others. Some kids with unbelievably promising futures and they're in the box. So you need to listen to me. Sometimes those expectations are feeling like you don't fit in or you feel like because you don't have all the things that other people are allowed to have. I don't have Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat. I don't have a phone. I don't have this. I don't have that. And the next thing you know, some guy that likes you and didn't like you and does like you and don't like you and jilts you for somebody else, you know what will happen? The devil put in your mind, you know what? You're just no good. You're rotten. You're terrible. And you know what you need to do? You just need to just leave. Make the whole world will be a better place. Or you've done something horrible. And the guilt is weighing on you so heavy. And the Lord will come by. You know what he'll do? He'll say, hey, let me take that burden off of you. Yes. Let, me, let me take that guilt away from you. Let me tell you that there ain't nobody that's not guilty of something. But you know, what happens is, is you get caught in this, what I call circling the drain. Can you give me just a second with this? Or I'm going to move on, I promise. But it's the real life that people are dealing with that nobody wants to talk about as if it doesn't affect Bible believers. You're still people. And guess what? You got saddlebags and tonight some of your saddlebags are packed as full as they can be. And you know what you know how to do? You know how to, hey you, I call it a cuss word. Starts with an F. Fine. I wish I could just put on every epitaph, every tombstone, you know, David Peacock, born so-and-so, died so-and-so. What do they say about it? He's fine. <laughs> it's like, that's a southerner's way of saying, don't ask me no more questions. They're lying. They are not fine. But they're saying that when they say, fine, that means if you ask me again, I'm going to put a fork in your eye. <laughs> but folks, can I tell you, the people sitting around you right now, there's financial burdens, there's foreclosures, there's repossessions, there's prodigal kids, there's health issues, there's job losses, there's real world pressure. And then we add to the mix, Jesus! And that makes you a freak! And now I'm getting hit from another side and people are like, you go to church? Yeah. If I didn't, I'd be in hell. What? Yeah. Jesus saved me, right? But when he saved you, he didn't save your flesh and your saddlebags are still full, aren't they? Guess what happened, that old preacher? He's a great preacher. I mean, what a, what a message. A real baby short message and the fire fell. But you know what? The obedient preacher did exactly what he was supposed to do. God gave him a sidekick later on. That old preacher found himself under the juniper tree ready to take his life. Now here's what I see in that. 
because I'm an old man. If somebody that I respect and knows more than me that has ten times in him what I have in me, if that can happen to him, you know what that means to me? That means I better pay attention because if it can hit him, it can hit me. And when it does, if I'm not prepared for it, I might become a statistic. You know what the Lord does? He comes, he sets down. He says, hey, how you doing, preacher? Oh, Elijah says, this is me. I'm just kind of adding living a little bit. It's a living Bible. He says, uh, well, I'm pretty much a flop, Lord. Uh, really not much of anything, you know. I stayed three and a half years on the backside of the desert. Nobody but you to take care of me and look out for me and watch after me. And I went over there and did exactly what you told me to do, but I guess I don't have no power. Ain't a single soul repented of it. You say, well, see, the problem with Elijah was he thought he was the only one. Could you tell me where in the Bible anybody spoke up for him when he was up on the mountain? Could you tell me where anybody gave him the sermon? Can you tell me where anybody helped him cut open the, the sacrifices? Can you tell me where they ever showed themselves from anywhere but in the closet? And I don't mean because they're queer. He had good reason to think that way. Nobody came to look for him. Nobody came to help him. And when he needed somebody, guess what? There was no, you know what happens? What happens is, is when this begins to happen, you feel all by yourself. You feel like nobody cares. Nobody knows you're like you're in a vacuum. The Lord comes by and says, I still got you. How you doing, preacher? I reckon the Lord probably sat back, maybe pulled on his beard a time or two. He says, well, I reckon... Elijah, that's all in how you look at it. Well, Lord, I guess you're done with me now. No. You look like you need a nap, though. Well, Lord, I can't go to sleep. These animals are moving in on me, and I got this going on. Don't worry about it. I'll watch over you. You go on and go to sleep. You say, why? Sometimes what you need is just to be able to disconnect and get a little rest. You just got to pull away for a little while, put things in perspective. It ain't worth you dying for. Well, you know what happens the rest of the story. Let's get back real quick to Jeremiah. It's a great story. It's the same thing, though. You see what happens. He winds up down in a pit. Now, Jeremiah, he's a great preacher, and he's not afraid. He's called the weeping prophet. Now, how would you like to be chosen before your mother even had you born, not even have a choice in it, and then be told to preach, and what you preach is always contrary to the people you're preaching to? And everybody that you're trying to help, they always think you're your enemy. That'd be a pretty rough road to hoe, wouldn't you think? It takes a real man to do that. Every time he preaches, they hate him, and he's crying. And then the Lord says to him, here, put this yoke on. Put a yoke on? Yeah, you, don't, you know how you find out a good mule, don't you? Do y'all plow out here? You, you know, y'all, y'all like hunt and fish, and you got like shotgun racks. No, that's, those days are gone. What do you have, like peace pipe hanging in the back now? Some Indian feathers, some dream catchers. Okay, I'll have to redo the whole illustration. <laughs> but you know, how you, you know how you tell a good mule? I, I, I guarantee you Brother Napier does know this. You know how you tell a good mule? You don't go look at the mule. You look at the mule's shoulder. You know what you can tell? You can tell when you look at a collar that that mule's been wearing. You can tell by how that collar's worn whether or not he's a good mule. Say, so how do you tell that? You look at where the wear marks are. If there's a hard wear mark on one side of that thing, you know what that means? He's constantly pulling against the rain and he's pulling against where the, uh, the farmer wants him to go and that farmer's having to ride hard on that right-hand rain to keep that mule to plow straight because that mule's always trying to go his way. You ever think about that? He said, Jeremiah, I want you to put on the yoke. 
well, isn't that interesting? Because you know what the Lord says? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He's the one that's told to put on a girdle, get a girdle. That's just a leather thing to strap you up. It's not Spanx. Okay? I'm just telling you. And ladies, you ain't the only ones wearing them anymore. They got them things for men now. He looked like 10 pounds of tater in a 3-pound sack, man. You got it all squished in here, but it's out here, and it's out here. It's like, Spanx, I can tell. I'm at the airport the other day. There's this woman there at the tick-out counter, and I'm like, and, and she's got something on, and everything in here is squished, but everything else was like, and she either didn't have a mirror or a friend because there is no way that they would let her go out in public like that. Her seams were screaming, help me. I mean, they were about to come on. And, and I know in her mind, she's like, oh, yeah, baby, I've been be looking good. It's like, baby, you are smoking crack. Something is wrong with you. You've been in a house of mirrors. But, but, you, but, but he's, he's told, he said, you, you, got a, you got a girdle, now go bury it. Then he goes and buries it. He comes back, he said, now go dig it up. It's like, so, I mean, you can't blame him for being a little bit confused. He doesn't understand all about types. He's not a Bible believer like y'all. Oh, yeah, I know exactly where that girdle is. Yeah, man, I know, I know about the plow, too. I don't know about how many angels dance on the head of the pen. If you rightly divide it and dispensationally and doctrinally split it, then you can, you know, and I know about them blood-sucking angels on Jupiter, too, and the, the black spot. And Okay, Jeremiah didn't know that. It's like, Lord, could you make up your mind? And guess what happens? He tells the king, the king asks him. That's the unthing, unreal thing. The king says to him, Jeremiah, tell me what's going to happen. And he tells him, and he puts him in jail. And then the people that only said, oh, he's weakening the hands of the people and he's telling this stuff and we need to turn around and do this. And so guess what the king says? Oh, I can't say anything against you. Y'all put me in office. It's all about the popular vote. So uh, uh, whatever you guys want to do, I mean, I'm the king, but y'all are the ones that control me. You're the neck that turns the head. You're a good Southern Baptist. <laughs> do with him what you please. And they get a rope and they put it around him. And they let him down into the pit in the center of the dungeon. No water, no light, no food, no fellowship, no blanket, no warmth for doing what God told him to do. Can you blame him for like, you know what, Lord? If I do get out of here, I ain't saying nothing about you no more. You ever been there? Because it didn't come out like you expected it. They let him down. Pull the rope up. He's roasted. Put the lid back on the sewer. He's done. Every time that lid comes off the sewer, it is just for more of that mire to come down on top of him. And you understand what that is. And that's literal. You don't have to go to the trilateral root word in the Hebrew to get that. You've got to have some common sense. If there ain't no water, that's the King James way of telling you something down there's making mud. It's not the sweat from the cave walls. It stinks. It's nasty. It's like the mire in a hog pen. Any of you's ever raised hogs before? Any of y'all? Any any of you folks in this? Any of you guys? 
I'll get it. If I come here another 10 years, it'll be like, you know, who's a yuns? Let's you guys it. Any of you guys ever raised pig, raise pigs? I didn't figure you're in the Midwest, sorry. They stink. Don't go, don't, don't go to a hog pen and then go eat bacon. It'll change your life. Right? So listen, and I'm almost done. Which we now know means. We good? Okay. He's with me, so we're good. He's down there, and all of a sudden, it's interesting. It's not Jeremiah's people that come to get him out. It's a slave called Ebed-Melech. How is it that he knew where the preacher was and the people that Jeremiah is trying to help didn't? Don't you find that interesting? How come it is being, his case is being pled by a slave and not by the people the preacher's trying to help? The people that he had helped. You're all the way now, all the way back into Jeremiah 48 over there. I mean, he's been around a while. Oh, well. Seniority don't count for nothing. Ebed says, hey, king, they ain't doing that preacher right. We got to do something about that. He said, you get cattywampus with that preacher. If that preacher's doing right, the Lord's going to not do right by you. He said, well, what do you want to do? He said, uh, well, let me go get him. Here's what's interesting in the story. You can read it tonight when you get home. But here's what's interesting in the story is that in the story, he start, Ebed starts to walk out. He's willing to go by himself to do it. And the king said, uh, hold on just a minute. You better take 30 guys with you. I think the king knew something. I think he knew that when he tried to go get that preacher out of there that he was going to need some help in doing it, maybe some protection because the people didn't want him to get out. There's a thing that happens. He's down there in that pit and he comes along and he goes and picks him. Now, if I was him, I'd pick 30 people with skills. I wouldn't just pick anybody. But he picks 30 men to go with him down there and he says, hey, guys, we're going to go down there and we're going to pull this preacher up out of the pit. And they're like, okay, that's what you want to do. We'll do it. And they go down there and on the way he said, by the way, stop by the rag bin and go over here to the seamstress and get you some of those cast clouts, some old patches. There ain't enough in a patch to make a garment, but they can make an old garment good. So get you some of them patches. Get patches. We're, we're going to get a guy out. We don't need that. He said, no, we need to get patches and some rags and meet me down there in the pit well they get down there in the pit he slides open that manhole cover and old Jeremiah looks up at him like this and he sees up he covers up he's thinking here it comes again man because you know what when you get down in the pit like that when you get stuck and you're sinking and stinking you think that all you're going to do is get dumped on again what else is going to go wrong today well, they say it comes in threes, right? And so you go in and things get worse and then they get worse and then you come home and you get bad news at home and it's like, man, I'm sinking and I'm stinking. But not only that, the longer you get in the mire, you know what happens to you? You get stuck. And the more you struggle, the more the suction pulls you down. Are you listening to me? When you get in that situation, you know what happens? That suction uses gravity, but also suction. It's called, actually, there's a term for it. It's called a breakout force. It requires more force than the weight because the suction is stronger than the product that's trying to be pulled out. 
You know what can happen when that stuff gets on you? It can pull you down, and it's like quicksand, and the more you struggle against it, the more it pulls you down and gets a firmer grip on you. Now I know what Ebed's doing. Hey, preacher! What? Uh, Ebed, he here? Yeah, nice to meet you. <laughs> what do you want? You want to dump some more on me? Come down to see if I'm dead yet? No, uh, I got a rope up here, preacher. I got a rope up here in New Heights. Some people sinking down here in the pit, struggling. The more they struggle, the deeper they get. The suction's pulling them down. Going to hurt when you pull them out. Preacher, I got a rope. <clears throat> that same rope they let me down with. Yeah, he said, man, my skin's old and it's like cellophane. That stuff hurts. I know, preacher, it hurts. I tell you what, I'm going to use just some old rotten rags. Nobody else would want to use rotten rags, but the best I could do, preacher, but they give you a little bit of comfort because rotten rags don't care if you put them under their arm because they're just rotten rags. They don't care where you use them. They're just glad to be used. Hey, can I say this to you? Some of you have a rotten rag testimony, but you're not beyond being used. You say, why? When you go to the rag pile, you might use that rag to clean up the biggest messes you've ever seen. But do you ever consider the hand that's holding you, that's allowing you to clean up the big mess? It's not about the rag. It's about the one holding the rag. My life is a shambles, preacher. Yeah, but some of you rotten rags can help people I could never help. You've been down in that hole. We don't need Christians nowadays that can just look down and say, boy, that's bad. I'll pray for you. <laughs> yeah, man, that's terrible. We need some Christians to jump down the hole. What in the cat are you doing here? You messed up as a soup sandwich, boy. Why'd you jump down here? Because I've been down here before and I know how to get out. See, rotten rags are like Aaron and her. They do those tasks nobody else wants to do. They deal with the people nobody else wants to deal with. They're not ashamed or afraid to get close to things because they don't see themselves as any better than the person that's stuck. And some old patches, patches, they're always, they never fit in. You never find a patch that matches the original material. And so you always get jeans and it's got a patch. Well, used to you put patches. Nowadays you tear the hole bigger because it's... <laughs> you used to put patches on jeans. But the patches when your jeans got faded and they put the patch like, oh, he got a patch. He's poor. He got, now you've got tear. He's rich, man. He, he paid twice as much as that's worth because they, tie, they tied whole, tore holes in them for it first. <laughs> hey, preacher. Yeah, he said, listen, he said, listen, boys, I, I can't pull myself up. Them days are gone. I'm too weak. I know, preacher. All I need you to do is put this rope around you, and pad them armpits real good and pad it up around your chest and your back so that that rope doesn't burn you. Hey, son, no offense intended, but there ain't no way you can pull this old man out of the hole. About that time, Old Jeremiah sees 30 heads look down in there and say, Hey, we from New Heights Baptist Church, we're, we're here to help pull you out. Jeremiah looks up and says, All y'all came down here for me? Yes, sir. He said, Yeah, but when I come up, 
I'm going to stink. I'm going to be covered in bad stuff. I might be tatted from head to toe. Might look like I lost a fight with a nail gun. I might have a history or a record. Boys, you know what? Y'all just let me sink and let me go. And 30 heads said, boy, it'd be good to have that old man be part of us, man. He come from the same hole we did. Yeah. Yes, amen. And Ben turns to John and says, hey, Ben, remember? And he goes, I remember, man. I don't know if we looked that bad, but <laughs> we was pretty bad. He said, remember when Adrian come by? Remember when Lacey come by? Remember when Brother Napier come by? Remember they helped us and brought some help with them? He said, oh, preacher, you're just making that. I'm telling you the church. I ain't just making it up. You say, why? He can't do it by himself. And they have people all around us that are sinking and stinking. But it takes a breakout force. You get that in there, one person can't pull them up. You say, why? The suction's too great for both of them. And the more he struggles, the worse it gets. Well, you know what happens? They begin to move him around. You know how it is when you're really stuck bad? You know that suction is there and you, and you move a little bit and you hear that noise and you think, you know, that, that and you're thinking, oh, I'm going deeper now. And you get to where you're moving a little bit more and before long it's like, man, and they start pulling. And then boys, I think what they do is they turn around, they throw that rope over their shoulder. It's like you're playing tug of war. Man, you would honestly think they were horses trying to pull stones into places. They are pulling with all their might. And they lay their back into it and lean their shoulders into it. Ebed's down there telling them and they start to come up and he, he sees the pain and he says, back off just a minute, boys. Just give him a minute. And he sinks back a minute and he catches his breath. He says, all right, come on, a little bit more. And they pull him up. You say, why? Sometimes it takes a little time to get him out of the hole. Yes, sir. It don't take them long to get in it. Right. But sometimes it takes a while to get them yes, out sir. of it. Right. I think when they get him to the top, Ebed, now this is how I have it, if I could paint. Ebed says, okay, boys, assume the position. And I think all them boys, now that they got him up there on the side of the pit, I think they all turn their backs and they make a circle around him and they're not looking at him because he's ashamed and he's embarrassed but they're protecting him from being looked on by everybody else. And Ebad's down there with some rags. Man, Preacher Usher, I'm sorry they treated you like this. Man, Preacher Usher, I'm sorry. Usher, I'm sorry. He dips it in that bowl of water, squeezes it out, and Boys, y'all got a robe? One of them boys says, hey, here, take mine, man. Before long, there's 30 coats laying there. Man, I remember when somebody done that for me. And I think, I'm not sure, but I think, I think Ebed said, preacher, are you hungry? I don't think he gave him bread. I think he gave him a ribeye. Medium rare for the baked tater. 
hang with broccoli on the side. No, Brussels sprouts cooked in bacon and honey. And biscuits. With syrup. How am I doing? All right? Okay. Your mouth's watering now. You're kind of like, that's sounding pretty good. Don't leave yet. Pull him out of the hole. He's still in the dungeon, but he's out of the hole. Let me show you something. Sometimes you get them unstuck, but they're still in a prison. They're just not in solitary confinement anymore. Some of you are out of solitary confinement, but you're still in the jail. And the Lord trying to kick the door open tonight. Some of you are in the jail in your own mind. You know why you're thinking? I'm just an old rotten rag. I used to carry an old, just kind of a reddish pink rag back in the day. You work at a gas station. You had them old. Remember, do you, you, how could you remember that? You weren't even born when they made them. <laughs> anyway, my daddy said you always carry that rag around in your back pocket. And when you're not busy, you, you find yourself something to do. You wipe down oil cans. You... People pull in those days and want air in the tires and they want you to check the oil and so you raise the hood and you check the oil and next thing you know that old rag is <laughs> it's covered in all kind of stuff, man. It's got bugs on it and got all kind of stuff and you get to thinking that rag ain't good. Oh, the rag's still good, it just needs to be washed. And you send it out and they wash it and bring it back, it's kind of like, man, what happened to all them stains? <laughs> they got washed out. And the rag's still a rag. Now it's a clean rag, but it's still a rag. We had an old, uh, elderly, not elderly, she's a woman. She's from up in uh, Pennsylvania. I remember because it's yellow cartag. And they don't know. They don't have beaches in Pennsylvania. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> and so people are down there in the summertime, and she pulled her car down there close. They don't have tides that come in and out. So low tide, she pulls her car down. You could drive on the beach in those days. She pulls her car down there to the uh, beach. And people are beginning to get away from the water. The tide's coming in, right? You think everybody knows that. Obviously, she didn't know that. She leaves her car there. And then she realizes that her tires are being covered by water. It's like, maybe I should move my car. And so she gets in her car, and you know how the story's going to go. Now, because the consistency of the sand has changed and the water's there, she gets ready to crank it up. And she's sitting on the axles now, and it's just spinning. And, of course, you know, we've got a bunch of drunk bubbles that are out there. It's all right. We'll help you push it out, you know. We do this all the time, you know. And so they get out there, and they heave, and they hoe, and they push, and they shove, and it ain't going nowhere. So they call the police. Why? That's what we do. Cats up a tree and stuck cars. That's all that we do, right? Right? That's it. What else do you do? You call the police. You don't want them any other time except when you're in trouble. And, and then if they can't fix the trouble, you go back to hating on them anyway. But so, so anyway, I pull up down there, and I'm like, she goes, I'm stuck. No kidding. See that? She said, do you think we're doing that? I said, ma'am, I can call you a wrecker. I said, but you're, you're stuck. You're locked in. The more you try to get out, the worse it's going to get. But I said, you're on a timeline because that tide's coming in. Once that stuff gets in your electric, I don't care what they tell you, it'll never be the same. It was a Mercedes. I'm waiting for the record to get there. It's getting bad. Record driver comes up. Oh, another Bubba, including the teeth. 
gets out, spits. I get this. Throws a choke chain around the bumper. Fires it up, cranks it up, and I'm like, I better not do this. It's not good. I got it. He got it all right. Snatched that bumper, slam off that car. I mean, went driving to the bumpers, bouncing in the sand out there. I'm thinking, oh, and then she's like, oh, my God, my car. I'm thinking, lady, that's nothing. It's fixing to be, like, completely underwater. And she said, what can we do? And I said, well, there's always Bubba. She said, who's Bubba? And I said, he drives a Ford Bronco. It's about half rusted out. He's got tires about tall as you are. He's got a big old pipe bumper on the front of his car with a, a huge rope that used to be an anchor rope for one of the uh, Navy guys. And I said, it's called a snatch rope. And I said, now, Bubba can probably get you out, but it's a little inc- unconventional. <laughs> I don't care where's Bubba. Well, somebody called Bubba. Here he comes, man. You can hear him coming. Sound like your truck old red, man. He's coming. Headers are uncapped. It wasn't headers uncapped. He didn't have no muffler on there. I mean, it was loud. He comes up. He says, hey, police, how are you? <laughs> I said, I'm fine. I said, we have a mess. He said, yep, you do. I said, you think you can get it out? He said, I believe I can. And he said, I need the lady to let me to do that. And she said, you want me to drive? He said, oh, no, I don't believe that's going to work out too well. <laughs> he said, I'll be glad to try to see if I can pull it out for you. Well, he laid down in that old sand and that mud and stuff like that, and he got up underneath there, and he managed to put his hook up over to the thing, the chain, and put the choker on there under the axle part of it. And he got into it, and he stretch that rope out and then I remember him backing off like that and she said do, do we have to have somebody here comes Bubba hey you want me to drive it he said no just put it in neutral leave it alone and I said you want somebody to he said no because I know what they'll do the second I start to get them out they're going to floor it and they're going to bury it deeper he said just let me pull it out I said okay now in my mind I've already seen the bumper go flying now I'm thinking I'm fixing to see the axle and the two front wheels go yeah. right Because sometimes people overreact when people are stuck. And instead of making sure they have the choker in the right place before they pull, they're in such a hurry to get somebody out that they do more damage than they do good. Sometimes you have to just say, you know what, that's above my pay grade. She's stuck, call Bubba. Well, Bubba backs up, what's he doing? That Broke, backed up a little bit like that, and I said, y'all might want to get out of the way. He put that thing in four-wheel drive. He spun four rooster tails, man. That thing is spinning up. You think you were in a monster truck show. He is spinning that thing, and that rope grabbed, and it stretched like that, and I thought, oh, boy, here it comes, man. It's either going to break or whatever, and all of a sudden, that thing set up like that, and he pulled it up onto that thing. Didn't stop till we got it all the way up on the ramp up there. Everybody's, ah, you know, you thought we'd have saved somebody from the SS Minnow or something, you know. <laughs> And I looked, and that woman is running toward Bubba, and she's hollering. And I'm like, maybe that's Bubba. You don't approach Bubba like that. Bubba will slap you. Don't, don't. No, no. I can't do anything. And all of a sudden, she runs. She grabs a hold of Bubba and plants one on him. I mean, bad teeth and all. I'm like... This is for cell phones and stuff, you know, and nobody take a picture, nobody, but I can still see it. Some things you can't unsee. Oh, she said, I just love you. I just love you. I just love you. And is there anything I can do? I remember Bubba, he said, a hundred dollars would be nice, you know. 
that's the least I can do. <laughs> Handed him $100. He got his rope and drove on off. But you know what happens if you're stuck tonight? You're going to have to be willing to let somebody help you get out. The more you struggle, the deeper you get. And sometimes Jesus uses people instead of himself. He uses some rotten rags. He uses some old cast clouts. Sometimes there'll be some old timers that'll come along and help you when nobody else will help you. But kids, will you listen to me? I don't know if you've ever made a wreck of your life or yet or not. You're too young really to have done too awful much. But can I just tell you, the Lord is not in the trash business. He's in the recycle business. And he can take whatever old rag you used to be and he can still use you to do something for him. Let me just say this. Now this is in my mind's eye. I think if I were to go to Jeremiah's house, I'd see a yoke. I'd see a girdle. I think I'd see a collage of rotten rags. Jeremiah, what was the greatest time in there and all the miracles and this and that and the other? Oh, it's that them rags right there. And I was sinking so deep, man. Oh, Ebed came along. We've been friends for years now. He comes along. You know, it's a strange thing. I'll say this and I'm done. Read just a couple of chapters on. You know what you'll find out? You'll find Ebed again. You know what the Lord does for Ebed? He said, hey, they're going to come in and they're going to destroy the city. But you're going to be safe. And he tells it to him twice. Can't help but believe it's because he took the time to help somebody in trouble. And then when his trouble came, God said, I'm going to take care of you, boy. That was the last night of revival meeting. Preacher, why are you telling us about all that suicide stuff and all that? That's just, that's just depressing. That's to just give you a word of caution to tell you that just because you're saved doesn't mean that's you're right. immune from that. Right. Second thing is, is I'm telling you that there may be some mud holes waiting on you. And if you're not in one, if you've been out of one, you know what you could do? Help people that are in them. But can I say this to you and I'm done? None of us can do it by ourselves. You've got to have other people to help you. And you have to be willing to accept the fact that there's no pre there's nobody that's a one-man show. There's no individuals that distinguish themselves and don't need help. We all need help. So you have an opportunity to think, not only, hey, God did something for me, what can I do for others? If you're right at that point of saying, I've had enough, trust me when I tell you, the Lord understands it. He'll come sit down there right there with you and say, hey, did you lose your light? Here's your fire. Are you cold? Do you feel like you're out of fellowship? Come on, move a little closer to the fire. Are you hungry? I got the bread of life for you. Do you know geographically you may not be in a bad place, but you can be in a bad place spiritually? You can be in a hole even though you're living in a nice house like you heard and got money in the bank. And you're here and you came here on a Wednesday night on the fourth night of meetings. Three meetings on Sunday and you've been here for three more. Six meetings. Because you're still looking. Lord, can you help me out? Maybe not now, but maybe for later on. Father, would you please help us as we close out the revival meeting to recognize that we're not alone and <clears throat> the devil wants to convince us that the brethren are against us and everybody's trying to hurt us and Nobody wants to help us. Lord, help us to realize there is help in the brethren. 
There is hope in the book. And more importantly, Lord, there's healing in the bomb of Gilead. And pray, Lord, that some of these folks here tonight, I know sort of hit a little bit of a nerve. They've either know somebody or they've maybe contemplated it themselves that have thought and pondered about life and whether or not they should even be around for it any longer. And I realize, Lord, we live in a scary age, anxiety-driven. Lord, would you please help us as Christians to draw close to you and help us to find some Ebed Melex and 30 helpers to go pull some people out of the hole. Bless this pastor and this church as they continue to go forward until the day of the rapture or death. And God, keep them strong and give them wisdom and give them strength. Help them to keep and maintain the good spirit that they have and to always be concerned about others before themselves. Bless them, Lord, and spend time with them and fellowship with them and feed them and care for them, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. You're in one of two spots, and maybe there's a third middle spot here, but either you're in a pit or you're in a position to pull someone out. You might be somewhere in between. But I know this much. God put you here tonight to hear the message for a reason. Aurora is the third largest city in the state population-wise. 430,000 people, I think. The majority of them are lost. I think one of the easiest things for us to do is to look at the opulence, look at the nice house, look at the nice stuff and go, ah, they're all right. They're not all right. Sin is, is it the, the burden of sin and of guilt, the stuff you did from your past that you can't get out of your mind, money can't take care of that. The depression, it's real. Years ago, I heard someone say, Oh, that puppy love isn't real. It's real to the kid that has it, right? And, and it's about perception. And obviously when you're depressed, you're, you're thinking things that aren't right, but, but it feels real. And you have to learn to keep coming back to Jesus and his people. And church, I, I pray we never get to a place where we forget the pit that God brought us out of. You know how churches die? They become self-consumed. And they completely forget about where they came from. You don't, we don't want to go down that road, church. We never, you know, well, Pastor, we've got a great spirit. Things are good. I know, and I'm thankful for that. But I'm also not so much a fool to think that we could never become like other churches and die. And part of the reason why is you forget your purpose. And even if you are in your own mind a just a rag. <laughs> At least I'm God's rag. <laughs> Amen.
His heart is touched with my grief. You know what I want to be the older I get? You know, as a kid, I wanted to be a military guy. I wanted to be a, a preacher. I wanted to be all this doctor. You don't want to be the older I get. I just want to be more like Jesus. I want, I want to learn to think like him. I want to look, learn to look at people. And as he said, as a pastor, I don't always have to have an answer. Sometimes I can just go, I love you. Boy, that can go a long way. good song for church i had some some great bible questions i'm not going to answer them completely right now but i do want to say I, I got those questions they will be answered someone asked a great question they said um you know if someone's lost does god hear their prayers or does god only hear a sinner when they ask for salvation read acts chapter 10 there's a man named cornelius and his prayers come up before the lord as a memorial God noted that man because he saw that man was reaching out to God the only way that he knew how. This is a lot about the nature of God, right? Uh, another question about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to go over all that right now, uh, but it's a good question. We'll hit it later. Um, before we go to, before we watch that video, um, which probably fits in more with the message than he has any idea about. Um, that's the Lord, by the way. That's the Lord. Before we watch that video, you asked me, how do I know about those rags? I've watched old black and white movies where they had those rags in the back of their pocket. So, um, but uh, <laughs> it's been good to be here. I love our young people. Uh, thankful for them. Uh, and uh, would ask that you just maybe be seated for just a moment longer. If you do have to leave, again, no judgment, no pressure, you can go. Um, but I encourage you to watch this. How, how long is it? Five minutes? Is it about five minutes long? All right. So, um, and I, I, I think this, when you come across parents, some of you are like, well, this, I ain't young. What is this video going to do for me? Any of you older folks ever try to invite people to church with young people in their family? All right. All right, so, so maybe think about this as an opportunity. Uh, keep it in your phone and maybe pass it on to your friends that have teenagers or kids and they're looking for a church home and they're not so sure what to expect and will my kids feel welcome. I did not share this, but I want to brag on our young people. The preacher that came, one of the preachers that came last night, his name is Jeff Laubach. His son is named Austin. And uh, Austin's going to college and in football and there's a lot of pressure when you're in that stage of life and athletics and let me just say this much, when you're in, in, in you know, athletics, in the collegiate level, uh, those people like to go drink, and they like to have, you know, that's their idea of a good time, and so there's all that, and he wrote me this long text, and you know what he said? He said, my son wants to spend time with the young people at your church. He said, it's not normal. They, they, they were calling him to be a part of things, and they were noticing him. They were asking, including him in conversation, he goes, Brother, whatever you have going on there, you need to let them know it's a good thing. And I don't, I don't take that lightly, and I, I think it's a big deal. So just for a moment longer, five minutes, we're going to watch this. Encourage you to pass it on to friends and family. You young people trying to invite people to church, your, your peers, use it. It'll be a blessing. 
Um, so I'll, I'll ask uh, 